TomDispatch.com. This is TomCast. Interviews and insight from Tom Dispatch contributors for anyone seeking a deeper understanding of our post-9-11 world and a clear sense of how our global imperial system actually works. I'm Timothy McBain. Recently, I had the pleasure of speaking again with retired U.S. Air Force Lieutenant Colonel and Tom Dispatch regular Professor William J. Astori. We spoke about who is sure to be the big winner in the 2012 election. It won't be Barack Obama, nor will it be Mitt Romney. The story argues that the real winner is sure to be the U.S. military and the national security state. Now, you, you pointed out in your article um, that Obama and Romney are both making these promises to increase defense spending. Do you, do you think these promises are meant to appease the voters or the defense contractor lobbyists or, or both? Well, I think it depends on the candidate. I think, Timothy, that in the case of uh, Mitt Romney, I think one of the points I was trying to make in my article is that he is vulnerable on the question of defense. He doesn't have any experience in in the military at all. You know, he was able to avoid service in the Vietnam War. He has five sons who were of military age, and none of them uh, decided to to join uh, the military. So, you know, I think in Mitt Romney's case, I think in some ways – you know, he is coming across as a hawk among hawks to, to try to neutralize a self-perceived weakness that he has on defense. And, and I think in the case of Obama, what I was, what I was trying to argue in part is that uh, it seems like almost any Democrat nowadays, no matter how tough he is, you know, has to come across as being pro-military, very pro-military. And, and of course, Obama has done that, and, and he himself has no military experience. So, you know, I think both of them are looking to the voters in, in part. I, I think certainly, you know, in the case of Mitt Romney, maybe more than Obama, there's, there's an eye on, on defense contractors as, as well. But, um, I, you know, for me, it's just so disappointing to see both candidates being so pro-defense spending, that there's absolutely no question of the fact that, you know, no questioning of the fact that we're spending, you know, almost a, a trillion dollars a year on defense. There's in, in, in a climate of austerity. Well, it, it seems we have been hearing recently, you know, a little more criticism of wasteful spending when it comes to defense. And people are calling for measures to increase efficiency. But is anyone calling for an actual reduction of military programs? Yeah, I mean, that's really the crux of the issue. Uh, when, when you think about it, we've seen the end of the war in Iraq. We see the war winding down, or at least supposedly winding down, in Afghanistan. And yet there's been absolutely no talk by either candidate of any kind of peace dividend. There's been no talk, you know, as we had at the end of the Cold War, about a new world order. And, you know, you would think that with the death of Osama bin Laden, you would think that with the disruption of al-Qaeda and the fact that the Obama administration very clearly has said that, you know, we have disrupted al-Qaeda, we have killed most operatives, uh, you would think that we should be declaring victory and saying, you know, hey, uh, you know, we, we have accomplished a lot here. We can now ratchet back our spending on defense. But yet there's been no talk of that by either of the major candidates. And, and I think that's probably one of the most disappointing aspects of, of this campaign. And what I was trying to get at in my article is that, you know, as we go into the summer and fall of campaign 2012, I don't think we're going to hear any talk 
of any significant reductions. Like, like you said, Timothy, there might be a little bit of talk about, well, you know, we need to cut wasteful spending. But, you know, who's against that? You know, what, what voter is against, uh, you know, cutting waste? I mean, I think everyone will support that. Yeah, that's just sort of an easy way to pander, perhaps, while not right. really addressing the, the real issue. Well, well, it's really interesting that that I think Mitt Romney, if he is elected president, he, you know, he'll be the new Casper Weinberger. Casper Weinberger was Reagan's, you know, head of defense. Uh, you know, Casper Weinberger had this reputation of being capped the knife. When he became Secretary of Defense, it was, well, you know, Weinberg is going to go in there and cut the defense budget and strive for efficiency. And, and you would think that Mitt Romney being, you know, Mr. Bain Capital and uh, striving for efficiency in the business world would also be able to do that. But unfortunately, when Weinberger took over as Secretary of Defense, he went from being capped the knife to being capped the ladle. You know, he just just ladling out money to uh, defense contractors. And I, I think that's going to be true of, of Mitt Romney. At least that's what he's saying. You know, elect me as president, and I'm going to increase defense spending. Even though, you know, the Iraq war is over, we're winding down in Afghanistan, and we killed the, you know, we, we killed the guy who, who orchestrated the 9-11 attacks. On the other side of this argument, though, recently I spoke with Michael Clare about military conflicts around the world that could ignite at any moment as a result of the battle for shrinking energy resources. Do you think it might be prudent for the United States to be prepared if something like that happened, if there you know, were military conflict in the South China Seas, for example, and uh, the U.S. needed to intervene? Well... Yeah, I, uh, of course, Timothy. But I mean, we have such a huge uh, national security uh, state. No one can touch us in the size of our Navy. No one has aircraft carriers and the kind of global reach, global power of, of our Air Force and our military. We don't lack, in the sense of lacking you know, military capability, I mean, no country can, can touch us. So, you know, I don't think it's a question of, you know, looking ahead to future wars and building up more and more military capability. Heck, I mean, if we want to prepare for the coming oil struggles, what we need to look at in, in this country is basically uh, an effort towards conservation. You know, the development of alternative energy resources, an emphasis more on conservation. There's no mystery to this. I mean, go back to, you know, Jimmy Carter's so-called Malay speech, where if you leave aside Malays, of course, he never said that word. You know, Carter basically said, hey, look, we're using too much foreign oil and, and there's a path ahead so that we can cut our reliance on foreign oil. And of course, we decided not to go down that path. So, I mean, yes, I mean, if we continue to rely on foreign oil resources and we continue, you know, not to develop alternative energy sources, you know, I think Michael Clare is correct. We may have to fight for it, but I, I don't think that's in inevitable. You know, the only, the only other thing I would say, Timothy, is that I think one of the things that really strikes me is just the persistence of the idea that we are a nation at war. Uh, you know, more than 10 years after 9-11, you know, there is still this mentality in, in the United States that we're at war. And I think this is one of the reasons why it's difficult to imagine cutting the defense budget, because we keep saying that, well, we, you know, we're engaged in this global war on terror or the war that has no name. And it, when you have that mentality, it narrows your, your horizons. It, it narrows your possibilities. 
And so the idea of austerity, you know, austerity extended to the Defense Department, it just doesn't seem to make sense if we're still a nation at war. But that's something I'm, I would question. Are we really a nation at war? Are we truly a nation at war when we're not really mobilized for war, when, when the sons of the privileged are, are not expected to serve? The, the other aspect of this is this mentality that we're a nation at war. I think that's also subtly or none so subtly supported by, by Hollywood. When you think about the movies that we're barraged with, you know, whether it be The Avengers, whether it be Act of Valor, or the movie Battleship, that's opening this week. It's basically this idea that, that either the United States or the entire planet Earth is under attack. Uh, and the only way to defend ourselves is, you know, with, uh, with battleships, with real Navy SEALs, as in, as in the movie The Act of Valor, or, you know, superheroes in the Avengers. And, and I know some people will say, well, that's just Hollywood, and they're just popcorn-crunching movies. But I think they kind of add to this idea that we're under attack. You know, uh, the planet, uh, the United States, we're under attack. And, and the only way we can really defend ourselves is by having, you know, a strong military and a band of heroes. And what we really need, I think, is, is just this, a whole change in mindset. But I think, sadly, with Obama and, and Romney, there's going to be no, no change of mindset. It's going to be more and more for the military and less and less for the poor and disadvantaged uh, in the United States. To read William Astori's article, The National Security State Wins Again, Why the Real Victor in Campaign 2012 Won't Be Obama or Romney, please visit TomDispatch.com. I'm Timothy McBain, and until we meet again, thanks for listening.